Hello and welcome to Talking Aussie Books, a weekly podcast bringing readers and writers of Australian fiction together. I'm Claudine Tanellis. As an avid reader and passionate advocate for Australian fiction, I make it my mission to spotlight local talent. So if you're looking for your next read or simply want to learn more about the Australian literary scene, this podcast is for you. Grab yourself a cuppa, sit back and relax. Welcome to another year and another season of Talking Aussie Books. I'm so thankful for your company today and for yet another chance to showcase an incredible lineup of Australian fiction writers in 2022. This morning, I have the very great pleasure of chatting to a crime writer who has debuted onto the Australian literary scene with an almighty bang. Winning the Banjo Prize in 2020 with her novel Flood Debris, Danuka McKenzie has secured her spot in literary history and scored a book deal with publishing powerhouse HarperCollins Australia. More than a year down the track now, and that novel has been retitled The Torrent and is set to be released across Australia in February. And I'm thrilled to have the chance to speak with Danuka about her life-changing win and the book that made it all happen. Welcome to the podcast, Danuka. Thank you so much, Claudine, for that very, very generous welcome. And um, I'm just so happy to be here. Thank you. It's my pleasure to have you. I wanted to say congratulations on your win and on making your writing dream a reality. You must be so proud of your achievements. Um, yeah, I am. Um, it's still, it's still such a yeah. I still can't quite believe it. It's all happened. You know, I mean, it feels um, yeah. It happened obviously in 2020 and sort of just getting that phone call where literally in that phone call all your dreams come true, you know, um, and, and uh, you know, so many writers talk about that particular phone call and, and the fact that I got to have that and not only one phone call but actually two phone calls because um, Anna Belding and my wonderful publisher, she actually called during the shortlist as well. <laughs> So uh, from my point of view, when I got the phone call for the shortlist, I was like, okay, cool, I made it, it's all done. You know, I now have a shortlisting that I can, you know, take to agents that I can take to, you know, uh, when I when I pitch my book. So, um, you know, I had, you know, there was absolutely no sort of expectation on my part that sort of lightning will strike sort of twice you know, within a sort of a week or two weeks, whatever that was, I can't quite remember now actually. But um, but yeah, so it's been incredible. And and what I say to people is that I really kind of bottle that feeling up and keep it and hold it. And then so that when, you know, something when things are not going quite as well and you know, um, you can kind of bring that memory back and go, Oh, I remember. That's right. I remember. So yes. So uh, yeah, it's been wonderful. Beautiful. I feel like I've been waiting for this book for a long time. Now you just said that, you know, you won the banjo in 2020. Now I can't imagine how impatient you must have felt between winning the prize and actually getting to hold the book in your hands. So I wanted to ask you, does the reality match or exceed the dream, do you think? Yeah, no, I think you're right. Like it does take a long time. And I think, you know, every time you hear that in a podcast or whatever about an author go, oh yeah, the publishing process takes a very long time. You sort of hear it, but you don't really take that in. And then when you're in the other side of it, yeah, it absolutely takes that long. Um, And I think, you know, what I really got an understanding of was the fact that it's just not 
my book only that's in that publishing schedule. There's so many other books. And then you see sort of HarperCollins, like as they bring out book after book, and you're like, oh, wow, all those books were being worked on in that same year. And they're all getting that attention. They're all getting, you know, all that love and all that editorial support. So, of course, you know, like, you know, I am slotted in <laughs> into that, you know, and I'm very grateful that I got that slot. So, so yes, it t- took a while, but I think pretty much every single thing I've heard an author say or a, a writer say ahead of me, you know, like in a, in, a, in a podcast and in an interview where they say, oh, it just takes ages. And then suddenly when it's on, it's on, you know, and you get these bursts of activity where you're like, oh, wow, I just really got to get that edit in or, you know, this, oh, and suddenly you need to, you know, talk to your publicist and da, 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 and it's all these frenzied <laughs> periods of activity um, marked by long pauses. And I think, again, other advice which I've taken to heart is you've got to be working on something else <laughs> because otherwise those long pauses feel really like, okay, well, now what's happening? Um, and so for me, I was kind of working on the second in, in, in the background because that's how I would yeah, use up that time and I guess um, and kind of burn some of the anxiety, you know, of, of that that whole process as well, uh, you know, and, and to kind of bury myself in something else. So, yes, it's without a doubt a long process, <laughs> yes. Was this the first time that you entered the banjo with this manuscript or with any other manuscript for that matter? Ah, yes. Well, I actually did enter the banjo in 2018, which I think, the time when they first ran it. So that was their first year of the banjo um, with the very first draft of this manuscript. And, um, yes, when I look back at that particular draft, I think, what was I thinking? Holy. It's not a surprise at all that it it, uh, did not do anything (laughs) Uh, but yes, so, uh, but I think that also shows sort of how far sort of I came in my own sort of writing sort of journey because um, like, uh, you know, I, I very much uh, say that, look, I have made every single mistake there is to make in terms of, you know, you know writing and, and one of those mistakes was absolutely writing my very first draft and going, oh, cool, that's done. Right, let's just, just start sending it out, you know. You don't know what you don't know and, and you know, this was like the first book, you know, this is where I dipped my toes into writing. So I I honestly didn't have sort of this huge kind of writing network around me. I had no idea that places like writers centers existed. You know, I didn't know there was a writing community, hashtag writing community. I had no idea. Um, So I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, And so I made all those mistakes. I sent some fairly um, crappy first drafts out to agents (laughs) You know, so I did all those mistakes. But luckily, you know, there were people out there who, you know, were able to kind of give me support and, and give me feedback. And, and, you know, eventually I got to a stage where the manuscript was far more developed uh, in 2020. And, and that's when I um, resubmitted. And, and by that point, like the story had, you know, significantly changed and the structurally it had changed quite a bit. Um, so, yes, and then I submitted that in 2020. So there you go. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. There's a lesson in there somewhere for all of us aspiring authors out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, learn from my mistakes. Yes, that's right. (laughs) I want to now talk about The Torrent. Such a fabulous read, engaging and page turning with a twist I didn't see coming. So I wanted to ask you, Danuka, tell me about your inspiration for this novel. What sets you down the path of writing about Detective Kate Miles and the investigation that occupies her time a week out from maternity leave? 
Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, I think the sort of the original seeds of the story very much was sort of the idea of a flood. And I think that came about when, um, you know, when I look back, that came about through my memories of those that huge flood that happened sort of 2010-11, the Brisbane River floods, you know, those iconic images in the news where the sort of that huge flood. And I think when I saw those, um, those kind of images, I was like, oh, I didn't realise really the power of the water, you know, what it can actually do. Um, And then sort of a few years down the track when I was really starting to, I guess, think about writing and trying to play with a few ideas that those images kind of came back to me and I went oh wouldn't sort of a you know natural disaster or a a flood kind of be a good sort of setting or a good uh, a good catalyst for sort of a a crime um, type novel so that's kind of I think that first seed um, or or certainly the seed for that idea Um, in terms of the character uh, itself so Kate Myers as the character I think Kate was very much a reflection of all the issues that I was going through at the time and I was trying to process at the time I was you know a a mom of very young kids I just had my youngest uh, you know and um, you know I was very much in the throes of that overwhelming kind of um, you know parenthood type situation of of young kids and also very much trying to juggle uh my work life um and and motherhood and so and and you know constantly being pulled either way so then it came to me well what would that life look like for a for a police officer you know and and a policewoman so you know having to kind of manage that very challenging police world and then come home to sort of whatever lego and Duplo and whatever you know, and, and having to manage those two well. So, so I thought that was an interesting idea, and 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 I started, you know, and and Kate came to be in, in that way. Um, and I think you know, just being a crime. I mean, you know, crime fiction. I mean, I love crime fiction. So that that is without a doubt. I mean, everyone has their comfort reads. Crime fiction is mine, uh, and in particular, detective fiction. So I'm actually not surprised that when I started writing, that's what came out. I don't, I don't think I even thought about anything else. It didn't even occur to me to write anything else apart from a crime type novel. So, yeah, so I think those three ideas kind of came together. So not everybody is going to have been as lucky as I have and have already read this book. So for those who haven't read it yet, can you tell me a little bit more about the story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So The Torrent is basically a police procedural and a murder mystery. It's a contemporary murder mystery set in northern New South Wales. And it basically follows my protagonist, Kate Miles, who is heavily pregnant and she is in her last week of work uh, before she goes on maternity leave. And when we meet her, she's essentially in the middle of investigating some armed holdups um, at a uh, neighbouring um, uh, fast food restaurant. And while she's in the middle of that, she essentially um, gets diverted into an unofficial review of an apparent accidental death in floodwaters. So um, there was some significant flooding um, that happened in the town over summer and, and a number of fatalities um, um, during that period. And she is basically asked uh, by her chief inspector to essentially look at one of those um, deaths and, and review that case file. And, um, you know, really what she's required to do is kind of review the read the file and write a quick report and 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 that's it but Kate doesn't really work that way so uh so the story goes on from there 
Yeah, an absolutely brilliant read. Now, we talked a little bit about Kate and, you know, where the inspiration for Kate came from. She's not only a a female detective in a team of men, but she's heavily pregnant and a mum to a toddler. I wondered if it made writing Kate a little bit more challenging. Oh, yes, absolutely. (laughs) I guess, you know, um, I was thinking about that, actually, and I I was thinking about why people potentially don't um, sort of use kids or, or, you know, pregnancy all the time because I guess one of the things with having um, Kate's kind of family life at the front and centre of the book is the fact that, you know, uh, you usually, you know, you, you can't end I guess, a chapter where um, sort of in the middle of an investigation, you kind of have to have Kate go back home <laughs> and deal with sort of the realities of her of her uh, family life as well. And, and so, yes, so I found that, you know, for example, I guess if I was writing a book um, without sort of that aspect uh, being so prominent, you could sort of end sort of uh, a chapter in the middle of a really key scene in, in the sort of the detective arc um, or the investigative arc and, and sort of, you know, uh, flash through to the next day and she's, you know, you pick pick up that investigative thread back at her being at work. But I guess you couldn't do that in this and I found that at the end of the day or the start of the day I always have to have that family element there. Now that's something I did deliberately because for me it was really important um, I guess my starting off point was to have a relatable woman there front and centre, mm-hmm. um, you know, a relatable everyday woman because for me, you know, I didn't want her to be like a femme fatale or, a, you know, fatally flawed or sort of did jiu-jitsu in, you know, her spare time and all that kind of stuff, those kind of tropes um, that are there. You know, I, I want her to be a version of the women I see every day in my life, which is uh, professionally highly competent and juggling a million things. (laughs) You know, that's who, uh, those are the women in my life and I wanted to see them reflected, you know, and and to see them reflected, like the experience uh, reflected in quite a real way. So for most women, you know, they will finish work and then they come home to to the next set of work. You know, it doesn't really end. And so for her, yes, she's a police officer, uh, but I wanted to show that other side of her life as well. Now, speaking about relatable, you know, everyday uh, female characters, the thing that came across for me about Kate was that like so many other high achieving or high performing female characters, there's a constant struggle to balance home life and career. But there is for Kate the guilt that she feels for wanting to do her job well and also wanting to be a good parent. I think it's fair to say there are some frightening moments in this book where Kate puts her body and her baby on the line while carrying out her duties and that she fails to accept that she has limitations to what she can do. And I kind of wanted to tap her on the shoulder and say, hey, remember you're pregnant here. Was this something you especially wanted to explore in the novel? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's very interesting because I think for Kate, she has, uh, you know, as a character, she has that chip on her shoulder in the sense that she feels she always has to uh, sort of prove herself and and prove that she's worthy of that position as a senior officer. She's worthy, you know, she's competent and at that, you know, she deserves that place. Um, And so she's always has this kind of, um, whether it's explicit or implicit or whether she's even aware of it, you know, she's always trying to prove herself. Um, 
So, yes, there is that element. And I think, you know, um, certainly I think she definitely pushes her body and she pushes that position potentially uh, further than, say, I would take it. <laughs> but, uh, but at the same time, um, some of those experiences are certainly based on my own in the sense that, you know, I very much, I mean, like I, I absolutely appreciate that, you know, everyone has a very different pregnancy uh, experience. So I, I certainly am not speaking for everyone, but um, certainly in my case, I had that experience of working right to the end. I specifically have a memory of being very pregnant, lying on the couch, doing an all-nighter because we had the deadline and the deadline doesn't move. You just had to meet the deadline. So I absolutely had those experiences of, of just doing that. Um, and, and I think that's also partly my personality as well. And, and so Kate got a lot of those things. Um, at the same time, you know, I would say that I did recognise my limits and there were certain things absolutely knew when to say no to. I think Kate, um, you know, she obviously pushes that boundary a little bit more, um, you know, and has to sort of deal with the consequences of that. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so obviously uh, it's certainly autobiographical to an extent. <laughs> I love <laughs> but, it. Uh, after a certain point, Kate becomes her own person. Absolutely, <laughs> it is such an interesting thing. I mean, you know, she's doing a job, a very demanding job, and a job she's doing it very well and very competently. But she has limitations that other people don't have in this point in time in mm. her life. So it's just a very interesting exploration of that I thought in this book yeah absolutely and I think it's for her it's it I think it is working out her own um, physical limits as well I think and I did I did want to play with the idea of the second pregnancy because I think certainly uh, I I absolutely remember those differences between my first and my second pregnancy I had no you know particularly my second pregnancy I, I really hadn't realised how much time I actually had in my first pregnancy, you know, um, and how you were so focused on your health and you were, you know, it was such a sort of a joy to finally get pregnant uh, because certainly, I mean, my, my own experience is like both my children are IVF and so it was very much a a thing that we wanted and we tried, we tried for, we actively tried for. So, um, you know, the, I remember that experience of, you know, actively being as healthy as I possibly could and, and feeling like that my body was in its best possible you know, version of itself when I got pregnant that first time. Whereas the second time around, it was far looser, even though I went through IVF um, then as well, it was just busier. You know, I had a young child already. I was managing, you know, work around IVF appointments, around, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. And it just, you just didn't have the time. And, and I remember feeling the guilt that I wasn't swimming as often as I was with my first. And that, you know, I wasn't doing all that stuff. And so I imbued some of that to Kate because they were because you want you want to replicate this perfect experience that you gave to your first child or what you know and all these ridiculous ideas that you have in your head as, as a parent um these expectations that you absorb you know from yourself and from society and all the rest of it but um you know you feel guilty for not having recreated this perfect version again uh and at the same time your circumstances are different you're even more stretched because you have even less time um and you're still trying to do all this stuff. And, and I guess, you know, and particularly for a, uh, I guess that that situation of a, of a woman having carved out a very successful professional life and, and, you know, not being 
not having to apologise for being ambitious about that because certainly a man does not have to apologise for being ambitious uh, and for being successful in that. And, and part of that success is most likely having given more than more time than she probably had to, right? So she's already built a reputation for herself as someone who goes over and beyond it and does that hard work and puts in. And then suddenly you've you've got a reputation to maintain or or, or a standard that people expect from you. And the fact that other other things have now crowded into your life doesn't matter to the team because the team is still expecting the same amount of work. Um, and that is very much elements of the experience that I've um, had myself, you know, in, in having to go back to work both times. And also I think people who don't have kids really can't appreciate that juggle uh, and they just still want the deadline to be met. Those are the th- things that I think she is grappling with herself. She does not, she definitely does not always get it right, but those are the things that are those additional layers that she has to grapple with that may be a man, an equivalent man in her same position does not have to grapple with in the very same way that she has to. And I just wanted to put that in focus or front and centre in the book, yeah. Talking about Kate's work ethic, I guess, and, you know, the fact that she really does go above and beyond, um, Kate has Sri Lankan heritage. And I think it. this is something I, I think she fears the men in you know, professional orbit uh, believe helped her rise through the ranks rather than her ability Tell me about that and why you wanted to address this in the book. Yeah, look, I think, you know, her being a person of colour, I guess, you know, uh, was sort of an additional layer, I guess, just as you say, that I wanted to put um, onto her in terms of, I guess, where she felt she needed to prove herself. So from her point of view, you know, like obviously she has, she's born in Australia, but she has um, South Asian heritage. So for certain people in the community, her skin kind of talks for her or comes ahead of her. So um, she gets into these encounters where, you know, people ask that inevitable question, where is she from? Um, and, and those kind of encounters are stuff that I've had myself and where people ask me that but wouldn't necessarily think to ask that same question of, you know, white passing people around them who also, you know, have heritage where they have migrated to Australia, but that question doesn't necessarily get asked. Um, and obviously it's most or- ironic of all when it's asked of First Nations people, uh, which is, you know, um, you know, a deep irony. But anyway, um, but I've had that that experience where people randomly come up to me at a cafe and get into conversation and I'll be asked about my skin colour and I'll be asked about where I'm from. Um, so I think, you know, that those kind of um, elements which I put in the book were just an idea of that jarring of how you see yourself versus how certain elements of, of, of the community may view you. And I guess it was sort of a very gentle nudge to kind of ask readers to consider what lenses they use to see the world around them and whether they see sort of the people their fellow citizens, I guess, as Australians or, or or Australians with with a qualifier, you know. So, yeah. Most of the book is written from Kate's point of view. Um, we have two timelines. We have a then and a now kind of um, uh, split. But most of the contemporary point of view is from Kate's perspective. And you explore the ins and outs of investigating the McDonald's stabbing case, essentially. So I wanted to know, and as you said, it's a police procedural. So how much research did you have to do to bring Kate's experiences to the page? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, it was complete naivety to write a police procedural and then realise sort of three years down the track going, oh, better get all these details, right? Oh, dear. Anyway, you know, as I said, I mean, the, the reason for writing it was very much my love of that kind of um book and I didn't really think about it much further than that when I started writing it but in terms of the procedural side so I'm very lucky so I've come from a sort of a very uh cop heavy family so my husband is an ex-cop my um father-in-law is an ex-cop uh um uh, my husband's uncle is a is a retired cop um, and also a very close friend of ours um, is, um, you know, ex-cop and he has retrained as a criminal um, barrister and he's currently working in that area in New South Wales. So for me, um, I specifically went to him um, to kind of get that uh, police procedural review. So he actually reviewed the whole manuscript and um, absolutely like corrected various, you know, uh, <laughs> sort of the offences, the, the names of the offences and, and, you know, like all sorts of things. He actually corrected a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and, and so that was really, really useful. And, and I'm, you know, very, very grateful um, to him for that. That was um, incredible. Um, and also actually then we have a neighbour. <laughs> Is a cop. Oh so, uh, so yeah. I need to move to I need to move to your suburb. <laughs> I know. So uh, so then I um I basically you know like if I had kind of questions um I would kind of text him to go oh da, 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 is this still current is it you know because the thing with my husband and and obviously his dad obviously is the fact that you know they've been cops so they kind of give me sort of like a general kind of idea but it, it's been ages like they've. They've, you know, that was sort of ages ago. So it wasn't contemporary in that sense. Um, so I would often like write certain things uh, based on my own knowledge as well, just, you know, obviously Google research, but also just the fact that I've read so many detective novels and I've, and I've watched so many detective series. I kind of like had a basic flow, but then when it came down to the details, I absolutely checked them and then all remaining mistakes are absolutely my own. <laughs> So, yes, yeah. So, as mentioned, this book is set in northern New South Wales in the border town of Tweed Heads, and until recently I'd never been there. So I wanted to ask you what prompted you to set the story there? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, basically, I mean, so this my starting point was very much I needed a location that would have big river floods. And as I said, my original inspiration was certainly the floods that had happened sort of in southeast Queensland, northern New South Wales. So I was immediately drawn to that area anyway um, as a starting point. Um, and then I thought, you know, with the procedural side, I thought, okay, it's probably going a bit too far to locate it in Queensland because I'd never lived there. And so, you know, it was another layer of added complexity in terms of learning a new set of legislation. So I definitely wanted to locate it south of the border. So I was thinking of that area and then I'd visited that area a number of times uh, for various work projects. So that border region and in particular, I'd gone and visited, um, uh, sort of the Kondong Mwilimbar area for a project. And that was when I was first starting to play around with ideas and I thought, ah, oh, hang on, Tweed River, Tweed River floods. It's this area, you know, so that's kind of where that started. Uh, but then in, in saying that, I was very careful to absolutely want to make it a fictional town because, you know, I mean, I hadn't, you know, lived there for any length of time or anything like that. So I was very, you know, I wanted the flexibility of a fictional town. So it, it's, a, it's, a, it's its own universe, obviously, based on that area. So, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. 
Now, I think the other really powerful motif in this novel is grief, the different experiences of loss in the novel, a parent who loses a child, a boy who grieves the loss of his first love, the the death of a spouse, so many levels of loss. And yet grief affects us all in different ways, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think that was a really important thing that I wanted to um, grapple with. Annette's grief in particular, you know, I think, again, because I was in the throes of very, uh, you know, that parenthood and having those very young kids and and thinking about, you know, how precious they are and then putting myself in that position of, oh, what if I lost them? You know, so it was, I think, for Kate as well, that was part of her motivation because, you know, she has these young kids and she's just about to give birth to another child. And so, you know, you know, she felt very strongly that mother's kind of grief for the loss of her child. And so it, it felt very much like something she felt she had to follow. You know, she really, she really got it in that sense. And she kept thinking about, well, you know, you never know how grief is going to affect a person. You know, some people, I don't want to give any spoilers, but obviously the the key antagonist in the project also uh, in the book, rather not the project, (laughs) um, has has grief as well, which she doesn't express in as, as, um, you know, obvious way as, say, Annette expresses her grief and therefore you know it's easy to think that she's still not grieving but actually that's their layered on top of all the other things that she has going on again no spoilers yeah so I think you know grief and how that manifests is one of the things yeah that I really wanted to explore and in particular you know from the point of view of Eamon you know it's very interesting because often you know you see the end point of of a crime or, you know, like on the news. So you see someone getting hounded by, you know, cameras and whatever, but you don't know how that person got to that point and you don't know how that's affected the family around them and what the, the parts, the people who were involved in that story that haven't been necessarily charged with a crime but had some sort of influence in how that all came together. So you see that that end point and you judge that person for that end point, but you don't see their life. You know, you don't see the life that they've lived and the, and the happiness that they've given to people. Not all people, you know, like I accept that some people are just terrible people, but um, it, most in most cases I would like to believe that, you know, there are certain decision points that have ended up us getting to that 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 point in our life and we are judged by that but there's this whole other iceberg you know of of story that isn't told um and only their friends and their family know and so when you know and often the the supporters of these people get judged themselves but they have known these people for so many years of their life and they've seen them and they've they've brought them into the world and they've taking care of them as children you know and so there's a lot of additional stuff mixed in with the with that wrong or that that offense that they committed uh, that they have to grapple in their own heads with this this human being who has done whatever but has also done other good things so um that side of um things always really interests me and so i think you know going back to your question about grief i think you know grief was one of the drivers in terms of uh, for Eamon uh, and how he got to the point where he did. It's almost as if the crime, and I heard somebody say this once, that the crime was just one part of the story. 
Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And I think, and I think that's why crime, to be honest, is so endlessly fascinating. You know, as as a genre, and 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 people just keep coming back to it because there's so many facets to how you can write that same story. You know, you can write the straight, you know, same story. I mean, this story could have been told from a completely another person's point of view, you know. Uh, you know, obviously I've, I've taken it from the point of a police procedural, but there's so many different characters that you could take that same story from a completely different point of view and it would be a completely uh, different story and also, you know, just as compelling, um, you know, to look at it from somebody else's point of view. So there's all those threads that come to the crime. But as you say, there's so many stories around it that could be told. So, yeah. Indeed. Absolutely fascinating. Danuka, in addition to clearly being an accomplished writer, you're also part of the Writers Unleashed festival team. So tell me about the festival and how you came to be involved in it. Oh, wow. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so I love being part of um, the festival team. Um, So how I came to be part of it is um, so uh, there's a group called the Fellowship of Australian Writers and it's, you know, it's sort of Australia-wide and I think, you know, it's, it's a group that supports writers and that's been around for I think, you know, since the early um, 1900s. So, um, so there's a sort of, there's branches all across, you know, the country and, and there's one um, in the area where I lived and they have been running um, the Writers Unleashed Festival for sort of the last decade. Um, and so when I was sort of dipping my, <laughs> you know, uh, feet into writing um, and I guess looking around in my local area for um, other people who are, you know, like-minded people who are kind of interested in writing books, you know, that were kind of in that same uh, journey or path that I was on, I looked around and I found these guys and, and you know, I joined up and me being, you know, who I am, I can't help myself. So I'm like, oh, cool, there's a festival. All right, cool, I might be part of that as well. So so um, I started, you know, um, helping out with sort of, uh, you know, sort of the part, being part of the team who organises the festival. Um, and, yeah, and it's been an absolute joy because, um because you you exactly that like you get to meet all these people who are you know you know are like-minded in the sense that they love writing just as much as you do and they want to get better at it just as much as you do and and you know and and very much I guess the part of Writers Unleashed is very much um that focus on aspiring writers and emerging writers and trying to improve that skill set <laughs> um you know uh you know, so so very much our programming is, you know, has that focus, but it's also, you know, obviously a place for readers to to meet their, you know, their favourite authors. So, yeah, that's been an absolute joy to kind of see it from the other side. And what I will say is it's certainly, you, you know, you never take, after having worked as part of that, you never take sort of community organisations for granted anymore because far out the amount of volunteer power that goes into making something like that work every single year there's so many organizations that are basically built on that volunteer power you know and and just don't get sort of funding support or whatever and and you know that Claudine because you know you guys are part of Northern Beaches Festival so you know you, you know exactly what I'm talking about it's been incredible actually yeah important do you think being part of a writing community was or is to your publishing success? That's been pivotal um, to be perfectly honest. I mean, as I said, like when I first started writing this and when I put my first um, draft down, I honestly knew no one. I genuinely did not know that the writing community existed. Um, And so when I first started sort of getting um, feedback on this manuscript, I really 
you know, went to sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, a manuscript assessor because I, I, I just didn't know what was out there. And I slowly, slowly started doing sort of workshops and, and I joined social media. <laughs> And through that, I really started discovering, oh, wow, there's this huge community out there of, of people who are willing to support you and are so incredibly generous um, with, you know, with their advice and, and just, you know, just giving you, you know, like you can message them and they message you back and it's like, what? <laughs> and, and just going to events and, and supporting other authors and, and just knowing what's out there. Everyone is just so incredibly generous and happy for us all to succeed. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's yeah. that has been that incredible thing I've found about this community because, I've, you know, coming from a very corporate world in my professional life, you know, clearly there's a, there's a you know, that, that's not how the corporate work world, which is quite competitive. So it's it's been an absolute joy, you know, to really discover this, this, this parallel world that exists that, you know, largely exists to support everyone um, and make sure everyone, you know, gets that benefit. So it's been amazing. Yeah. So Janika, you know what I'm going to ask you next, right? (laughs) (laughs) Given your success over the last couple of years and your debut book just about officially in the world, what tips would you offer aspiring authors out there who have a goal to be published like you? I've organised three tips because I think that's what you require, Claudine. (laughs) (laughs) So <laughs> not, not required, just suggest perhaps. Just suggest, yeah. Uh, so, look, I mean, I, I, was, I was actually thinking about one of the three things, what will, what I found most useful. And I think, you know, one is, and I think this has been talked about a few times, but about finding the, the, the process that works for you because there's so much advice out there and, there's, and it, it can be very loud um, and, you know, and it can be very overwhelming and if you kind of, start comparing yourself and go, oh, God, you know, that person's writing a 1,000 words a day and that person's doing this and da, 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 and this person writes, you know, two books a year and whatever, it can be overwhelming because you start you start thinking, well, you can't do that. But, but ultimately the more, like, you immerse yourself in the writer's community, writing community and the more you hear interviews with authors, you realise that there's just as many ways of doing things as, you know, as there are people doing it. And I think that can change depending on where you are, like in your moment in in your life, because like certainly I have way more time to write now than I did when my kids were, you know, tiny. And, and when my kids were tiny, I would write once a week. And that was my routine. But I think the issue is finding what works for you, but then doing that. You do have to make that a regular practice, whether that is writing once a week or writing every day, whatever that practice is for you, you just do that, you know, and 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 work on that. So, um, so that would certainly be my first one. And then the second one would be, I think, getting feedback. You know, I, I would say fundamentally, the one thing that has made a difference to my writing has been feedback. And I think feedback from, ideally, from writers who are sort of uh, more experienced and further along in that publishing pathway than you are. Uh, because they will see things that you will not see um, and they will see things that potentially writers maybe who are just starting out just like you won't see. So you won't get that same level of feedback. And I think if you can get um, sort of feedback from people ideally writing the same genre as you, that's even better. Um, And getting a wide variety of, of feedback so you get different people's ideas on things because that's what a book is going to go it's going to go out in the world and and reach 
a whole range of readers, okay? It's not going to read just just a few little readers. It's going to, you know, and so to get that broad range of um, feedback is really helpful to work out. You don't necessarily have to take all that feedback on board, but it's just to see, okay, well, what is working? And if a lot of people think certain thing is working, it probably is. And if a lot of people think that that character is just not working and shouldn't be there or whatever, you know, or, or, or they're both got, they all got bored at this one particular moment in, you know, in your manuscript, well, it's probably not working and you probably need to look at that again. So I think that has been, you know, that feedback and, and a wide range of feedback, if you can, is amazing. Um, and I'll say the last thing, um, I don't, you know, which I found is I guess you need to be uh, prepared for the fact that your anxieties won't necessarily go away when you achieve your dream. Uh, you know, I have found this to my, you know, great kind of, uh, you know, I guess detriment or whatever the word, I can't find the right Agreed. word, but, you know, like it's, it's yeah, it's been sort of um, you think when you, when you, when you, your whole aim is to achieve this publishing dream and that's all you're working on and you think, oh, once someone gives me that validation, i.e. once the industry or my publisher gives me that validation, it'll be fine. I will then believe in myself. Turns out not, not so much. <laughs> Turns out the, the, those same doubts, those same insecurities um, live with you. And actually you as a person have to find a, a way, a process of dealing with that uh, because that will live with you no, no matter what. So that's a lesson that I have absolutely learned. It's actually not for the outside world to give you that validation. I mean, I, now I sound like a self-help book, but <laughs> turns out it's true. <laughs> so, uh, yes, and you've got to kind of work that out for yourself. So, yeah. Bless. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Three fabulous, fantastic, eloquent tips. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so are you working on something else at the moment? You must be because you told me you worked on your second novel. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've been very, very lucky. HarperCollins, oh, they're so brilliant. So they have accepted um, the second uh, novel in the Kate Miles series um, and we're very lucky. I kind of managed to submit it ahead of the print schedule for, for the torrent. So they managed to get a little sneak peek in at the back of um, the torrent, so the, the right. final print version. Um, so that's very exciting. So in theory, I will be uh, editing that this year so that it comes out in same time, 2023. And then I'm also sort of, I've got a lovely white blank page for book three. <laughs> But, uh, so that I'm working, I'm, I'm working on an idea, but um, certainly the writing itself hasn't progressed much. Um, I have, uh, to be perfectly honest, I have got distracted with this whole publicity stuff at the moment. But yes, so um, the intention is certainly to start working on the third um, for Kate. Yeah, that's wonderful. So, Danica, if listeners wanted to learn more about you and your books, where could they do that? I have a website, um, so um, danicamckenzie.com, um, and I'm also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all um, Danica McKenzie, so at Danica McKenzie. I think on Facebook, I'm Danica McKenzie Writer. Um, so it's D I N U K A uh, M C K E N Z I E. Danuka, congratulations once more on a stunning debut in the torrent. Such well deserved success for a brilliant novel. And thank you so much for joining me on Talking Aussie Books today. Oh, no, thank you, Claudine. I love doing this and it's such a pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That's a wrap, folks. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please drop me a line via my webpage 
at claudinetanellis.com, via Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. Alternatively, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Until next time, happy reading. Happy reading.